This is Wayne Jernell, editor of Theory and Research in Social Education, and this episode of Visions of Education features a TRSE published author. Enjoy. You're listening to Visions of Education, a podcast where we take a look at big ideas in education from different perspectives. Hi, I'm Michael Milton, a high school teacher from Massachusetts. And I'm Dan Kretka, an education professor in Texas. We're here to help bridge the gap between educators in the K-12 and those professors in higher ed. We hope this podcast will help bring those fuzzy ideas in education into focus. Michael, what's the best professional development you've ever had as a teacher? For two summers, I got to go to the George Washington Teacher Institute, the summer residential program. And for five days each time, I was living at Mount Vernon. And every morning, I would like take a run through George Washington's estate. It was just amazing. Every night, I was hanging out on his front porch. He apparently has two front doors. But the food was excellent, which is always good in professional development. The scenery was amazing. And it was really top-notch PD. Not only was it like place... I mean, we're there, so we got to like really look at how, like how he lived and like how different parts of the estate worked. But a lot of it was like hands-on, which was just kind of amazing. So we did a lot of, we're playing around with the the census that he had of his enslaved workers, and we're trying to piece together their experiences. So it was really neat that we got that really hands-on, you know, work to do. It was awesome, and I went twice, and I want to go back. It was good because it was hands-on. It seemed practical. You were learning a lot. Did Was it easy to find? Too, how, the food, too. And the food. Excellent. <laughs> Always an element of just good experiences in general. I felt like I was, like, I don't know, like a rock star, and I was just being, I don't know, given excellent meals, as I think rock stars do. Which is, you know, why most people go into social studies, for the rock star status and yes. feeling. So, I mean, how did it translate to your classroom? Was it sustainable? You were able to take the things directly into your classroom? Yeah. So the second one, it was specifically about about slavery. And so it was really neat to kind of bring that right into the classroom because I we're redeveloping our uh, freshman, our US-1 curriculum anyway. And so it was great to make sure that we actually had, you know, the voices of the enslaved community, the enslaved workers at Mount Vernon, but also elsewhere too. So that was kind of awesome because there was that immediate, like, as soon as I got home, I tried to figure out how to put it into practice. And then we actually stayed in touch with a lot of the people who from that. And we talked about how we use it in the class. So that community building was kind of fantastic. And then, yeah, we put it right into action. And I love that it's ongoing. I feel like that always seems to be an important part of PD, right? Is that you have some kind of way to follow up or continue the conversation. Yeah. And, and we both, I mean, that's how we met, right? Doing SS chat and, and right. SS chat's cool because it is kind of a continual conversation. We come back on different topics for the moderated chats on Twitter every Monday, but oftentimes there's themes and things we've learned before that we're able to come back to and discuss, right? Right. Yeah. It's kind of, yeah, it's kind of like having like a, almost like a buddy system in professional development. Like you check in, you talk about how you've done so far, you talk about the pitfalls, what didn't work. Um, yeah. And so I guess, yeah, Twitter for us, well, for me has been really helpful with that too. So I agree cool. with your statement. Yeah, or starting a podcast is a good way to continue learning, right? That's like the best thing ever. <laughs> yeah. Well, so today we're going to talk a little bit more about not only professional development, but the policy side 
of social oh, studies, professional development, how you grow as a teacher. And we brought in an expert who can help us do this. And he's also a published expert recently in theory and research on social education. And so we would like to welcome into the podcast, Kevin Maywison. Thanks. Thanks for having me, gentlemen. And an expert is an awfully strong word. So <laughs> about a guy who studies the intersections of social studies and policy kind of sort of. How's that? Is that good enough? Kevin's the coolest guy we know, and we have, we're having him on the podcast. <laughs> right now, he is actually wearing a leather jacket that he just popped up the collar. That's it's true. possible. It's it's cold up here in Rochester. Actually, I say it's cold up here in Rochester. It's not that cold up here in Rochester, but leather jackets are a 12-month piece of apparel up here. So, Well, I should say, too, before we learn more about Kevin, I was recently at the same conference as he was at. I think he'd actually left a little before me, and I was wearing a really fantastic shirt. It just had It was like very bright and had lots of things going on. And someone asked me if I was trying to steal Kevin... Uh, Maywison's title as wearing the brightest, like most uh, outgoing shirts. And I said, yes, I actually want that title. So Kevin, I'm coming after you. You're I had that, a choice. Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> I had a choice maybe three years ago when I was faced with the need to purchase new pants. And the, the choice was light khaki, medium khaki, dark khaki, blue or black. And I, I said, no, uh, I said, I'm, I'm not, I'm not doing this. I'm not playing this game anymore. And so I bought sort of a rainbow of colors and, and I, I will wear them around to various professional activities, which is OK, but also problematic because instead of people saying, hey, you wrote that cool article on whatever or you're doing that interesting study on on Ed TPA, they say, oh, yeah, you're the guy with the pink and yellow pants, um, <laughs> which I don't know is the best way to be known in, in the field. But, you know, I guess I'll take what I can get. It's it's like they say, it's not what you teach. It's the way people feel about your clothes that they really remember. I think, yeah, it sounds like H.L. Mencken or maybe Mark Twain. <laughs> Kevin, before we get further, could you tell us a little bit about your background in education? Sure. So um, I'm currently a faculty member at the University of Rochester, where I direct the social studies teacher education program. I taught high school social studies actually in upstate New York before uh, going down to the University of Maryland to, to do my doctorate work there. Uh, and had the serendipitous occasion to come back to upstate New York once I was finished with that to do teacher education. Uh, one of the great benefits thereof being some familiarity with the state policy context, the ways that things are done in New York in terms of standards and curriculum and course organization and so on and so forth. So it was a good fit sort of coming back up after having taught here and then gone away to do my doctoral work. When you taught, what did you teach? I taught 10th grade global history and geography, 11th grade U.S. history, and 12th grade economics. And in the process of sort of beginning to teach, I had some questions about how to get better at teaching, why the students that I had had a difficult time with some of the conceptual teaching that I was trying to do, why certain things weren't resonating with kids, and in looking at both research and curricula as places to sort of learn more about that. I was sort of drawn back into, you know, graduate work. Uh, so then I went away and, and did, did my PhD where I could sort of study, you know, what happens in the spaces between, you know, professional learning opportunities like teacher education or professional development, where I was trying to develop answers to some of these questions and professional practice where it's, I was finding it, you know, difficult to sort of enact 
you know, some of the things that I was learning about were good ideas with regard to curriculum, instruction, assessment, et cetera, you know, but, but experienced some challenges in, in actually implementing them. That was your radioactive spider bite. <laughs> A radioactive spider bite. You know, when something bit you and you realize that you were destined for more with your new powers. Of course, you went to go to grad school to develop those powers. But that, that was comic, your radioactive. That is a comic book reference, the radioactive spider bite. Oh, yeah, that's Spider-Man. Gotcha. Okay, so we may find some holes in pop culture knowledge and understanding unless we talk almost entirely about music. So, yes, I, but, I, but, I, but I made the connection. So, you yeah. know, better than going, hey, I, I don't know what that means. I'm trying to think of the music equivalent. Of a radioactive spider bite? Yeah. Maybe that's when Fergie joined the Black Eyed Peas. No, I don't know if that works. That was the first time you listened to Nirvana when all you had before that was hair metal. Yes, that's it. I'm glad to see you two bringing those two worlds together. <laughs> so your article, Happy Professional Development at an Unhappy Time, Learning to Teach for Historical Thinking in a High-Pressure Accountability Context, was recently published by Theory and Research in Social Education. Congratulations. Thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah, that was that was uh, that was an interesting and I think important article to write because a lot of the research that's done on professional development, particularly in social studies education, does not necessarily engage directly with the political contexts in which that professional development is taking place and the ways that those contexts interact with the teachers who are going through professional development and with the things that they're trying to do in the field as a result of professional development. What do you mean by that? So, so what I mean by that is, you know, the, a, a term that I use in that article is uptake, where, you know, uptake is about actually enacting or implementing the, the sorts of things that you learn in professional learning contexts on a regular basis. It's the process of changing teaching as a result of professional development. And that's, I mean, that's really the sort of holy grail of professional development, right? Like you don't want to go to professional development or professional learning experiences, pick up a whole bunch of maybe resources or materials or uh, engage in some conversations and then go back to your classroom and not change anything. So, you know, the, the, study, that, the study that I conducted was a study where the professional development program was really designed to help teachers take up new practices that are aligned very closely with what we know about how students learn history, you know, more of a sort of inquiry-based, uh, interpretive, investigative sort of form of history. And, you know, at the beginning of the program, when you were talking about some of the best professional development that you've had, you know, we know that there are some design features in professional development that make them, make some professional development opportunities more powerful than others. You know, for example, professional development that happens continuously, over time where you're sort of in a space with the same people engaging in question, engaging in sort of questions and conversations persistently, you know, rather than meeting people new every single time that you come into a professional development context, obviously com community matters, you know, social interactions around tough questions about learning and, and teaching that matters. Another design feature that we know makes a difference in professional development is when professional development is situated in classroom practice, talking about things, you know, uh, in more of an abstract way tends not to be as effective as when teachers are 
looking at their own practices, looking at artifacts of their own practices, thinking about them and using them to rethink the way that they teach. So putting teachers in situations in which their own learners find themselves, you know, sort of struggling with historical questions, for example, um, looking at historical sources and trying to make sense of those things, you know, those are professional development activities that, you know, tend to be more helpful than here's a binder full of stuff. Now go use it. Kevin, are you saying that our podcast would be more effective professional development if we went in everyone's classroom and did it? <laughs> I think that's absolutely what I'm saying. That that seems like a completely legitimate interpretation. Hey, we'll take it on the road. <laughs> but then spread the podcast to those places and enable those people to enact their own podcasts such that the podcast then multiplies Ugh. and visions of education becomes a global phenomenon and acted in thousands of places around the world. That's like exactly what I'm saying. Like a spider web. It sounds like exactly. a virus. <laughs> okay, well, there's another no, way to but, look at it. But I do, I do get what you're saying is so important because I was, I remember being frustrated as a teacher when they would just bring someone in, they would give a one-time PD, and oftentimes it was very disconnected from the things we were doing. And I remember just turning to my colleagues and being like, "We can, like, just give us this time. We could do better than this." Mm -hmm. um, it was just frustrating the the conception of, you know, how we should do PD. Yeah. And so so one of the things that I do in this study is, you know, I sort of indicate, yeah, these design features matter and we know it, but I sort of reposition alongside these design features some contextual characteristics that are super important. And they include, you know, institutional openness or resistance to change. Um, they include strong relationships within the schools in which these teachers work among teachers, administrators, and students. You know, one of the questions that I think is important to ask is how coherent is the professional development with local curricula and programming? How much do teacher colleagues who are participating in this actually buy into what this is all about? So for example, if there's professional development around historical thinking, and you have a whole bunch of people in that program who believe that really the most important thing for kids to do is just sort of memorize the, the, the heritage narrative you know, that, that buy-in isn't going to be there. You know, teachers have to sort of collectively want to change practice and in, improve their learning. And there needs to be trust among school institutional networks. And I think the other really important characteristic is that if teachers are going to be participating in professional development and learning new things, there need to be leaders in those schools who can help teachers mediate the demands on their time and resources to focus on learning to improve. So in the study that I did, one of the things that was really challenging was we had a professional development program that really was strongly emphatic that kids need to be engaging in historical investigation and interpretation. And we had an accountability or school institutional accountability context that was panicked about the implications of high stakes testing. They were facing cuts in resources. There were school closures and reconstitutions. And so in a school situation where the primary objective is to really get kids to pass tests to show improvement in terms of the accountability metrics, there was a real sort of um, like a discrepancy. Yeah, a real disconnect. That's the right word between what the school institution you know, wanted and what the professional development, which ironically was achieved through a grant that the district had written, um, a disconnect between what the district needed or wanted and what the professional development was, was designed to, you know, to sort of help teachers do. I'm an avid reader of 
Kevin Mayweather's work. And so your previous TRSC article, which was published not too long ago, you talked about the same problems. I've always just kind of called them the implementation problem because we have a lot of good ideas in education, but they don't always align with what's happening in classrooms or what's happening at different levels. And you had talked about it as almost echoes that exist, right? As as in like the well, you could explain it better than me. Can you talk a little bit about that idea? Was that it sounds like that was evident in this study too? Yeah, I mean that idea comes from Kathy Kornbleth's work, and it's a nice sort of conceptual metaphor for the challenges of of teaching within sort of accountability context. You know, she uses that term echoes as you know ideas that reverberate within sort of an echo chamber where new ideas that are out there beyond it don't get in and the ideas that are in the echo chamber bounce around so much that we think that they're the the most important priorities and so if the echo chamber is one of high stakes testing for example or you know and high stakes testing plays out in a lot of different ways in terms of you know things that kids are held accountable for you know new york state for example 40% of their annual teacher evaluation rating is based on their kids high stakes test scores if they have t- kids that are taking you know standardized tests so so this echo chamber is one in which ideas about learning and teaching and assessment um, that are are really sort of directly related to test preparation kind of bounce around inside that echo chamber and other things for example, related to, you know, as I mentioned, historical inquiry, they don't make it into the echo chamber. And so, so people don't talk about them quite as much and people don't start thinking about what it means to learn and teach this way. And then for teachers to learn how to, to teach this way better. That's interesting and frustrating that if your school, if what they hold valuable is test scores, that all these great things that, you know, it's happening in, in the history, the social studies realm, you just can't, it just doesn't matter and if you do spend time on that, it's frustrating because you never get to implement it and no one really seems to care. And so you can just imagine like what like the struggle a classroom teacher in one of those environments might be thinking. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, the the newest TRSC study really demonstrates sort of a paradox of professional learning and professional development, um, which is, you know, sort of that we need to create safe, trusting environments for teachers to learn, for teachers to implement and do stuff, for teachers to struggle with that implementation. Because anytime you try something new, uh, you know, you're going to struggle, you're, you're going to fail, you're going to see things happen that you didn't expect to happen, you're going to have to deal with that. So creating sort of a, a safe space for that to happen and to reinforce learning within that space, while at the same time, you know, teachers face sort of increasingly volatile climates in their home schools, depending on, you know, what kind of district they're in, whether they're in a, a higher pressure district or a district in a, in a state where, you know, the accountability metrics are more stringent than others. I wish that one of the things on like your performance evaluation was uh, how have you failed recently mm-hmm. and what did you learn from it? I feel like you could get so much out of those two questions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, and that's, that's one of a couple of ways to think about accountability. So, you know, in my sort of one of my other academic hats, I've been, I've been doing some work on the ed TPA, which is a performance assessment of teaching that increasingly you is, that is increasingly used as a sort of a gatekeeping tool to get into teaching. It's an, it's, it's often used now as sort of an initial certification assessment and in talking with some of the folks who designed the ed tpa they have expressed 
that challenge similarly by saying, look, there are a couple of different ways to look at the EdTPA as an assessment of teaching, one of which is as a tool for inquiry. In other words, how am I doing as a teacher? Where am I struggling? Uh, how do I know I'm struggling? Where am I doing well? How do I know I'm doing well? What can I do better? How do I get there? You know, so, you know, along the lines of what you just said, Michael, you know, how have I failed and what have I done to, to try to address that failure? That's, that's, a, that's an inquiry stance, you know, and then there's the sort of compliance stance, which is I need to demonstrate that I have met, you know, X, sort of X in terms of a, of a metric here. Because if I, yes, I am proficient. If I go above proficiency, great, then I can keep my job or I can, I can get my certification or what have you. But if I go below proficiency, then I either, you know, I'm on probation or I don't get certified or what have you. I mean, those are that compliance stance versus the inquiry stance are two very different ways, you know, to sort of look at, um, you know, assessment mechanisms from the ed TPA as, as an assessment of teaching all the way into the classrooms where you have, you know, assessments being used, you know, to, to figure out how well the students know the subject matter. What does EdTPA stand for? It stands for Teacher Performance Assessment. So Ed, small ed, capital TPA, teacher performance. So ed, educational teacher or educate, I mean, I, I, I'm not entirely <laughs> so... sure how they how they got to Ed I didn't know if it was like the television show Ed from the 2000s. Which was <laughs> We're so amazing. good at at acronyms in education. Um, and I always I always used to say as a teacher, everything that has an acronym means I have to do more work. Um, <laughs> it's usually how it works out. Um, so how many states are, are, are using EdTPA? And are, is it just being used mainly through colleges of education to certify teachers? So that, that, the answer to that question is a couple of hours long. I'm going to try and do it in about 30 seconds. Um, <laughs> there, are, there are a few states that are using it as an initial certification mechanism at the state level, and increasingly so. Um, you know, under 15 now, but the numbers are increasing. There are a few states in which teacher education institutions are using it as a metric to determine whether or not candidates can move through their teacher education programs and finish. There are states in which EdTPA is one option of a couple. There are states in which EdTPA is the only option. There are states in which the EdTPA plays absolutely no role whatsoever. But one of the, and I don't want to get sort of too wonky into teacher education policy, but um, the organization that accredits teacher education institutions you know, has determined that the EdTPA is a valid and reliable mechanism for determining whether people are are uh, able to teach or not. And so teacher education institutions are increasingly using it, you know, as a way of determining whether or not their candidates are ready to graduate, whether or not the state requires it as um, as an initial certification or as a professional certification tool. So it's kind of complicated. My school district, uh, you have to spell cat, hat, and pat, and you can't be married if you're a female. <laughs> that's a joke, but that's how things used to be. Yeah, right. And there's multiple ways to spell cat, by the way. I mean, I use the QAT version in Scrabble relatively frequently, so. <laughs> wait, wait, really? <laughs> yeah, QAT. Totally. And it works? The Scrabble word. Huh. Absolutely. Uh, Give it a try now, sometime. Now I might not lose every time. <laughs> Well, 
Kevin, I think this is really helpful for kind of getting a, a an understanding of the landscape and some of the issues that that teachers and schools and institutions face in having successful professional development experiences in an accountability context. What's mm-hmm. some advice that you would give for educators a, across the spectrum from, you know, school teachers to professors working in higher ed for making sure professional development experiences have success even in accountability context? Mm-hmm. Well, I think the first piece of advice um, is to throw out the idea that teachers are not political actors. I don't mean like political activists necessarily, but I mean political actors um, in Not schools. like on House of Cards. Yeah, no, not necessarily. <laughs> yeah, Doug Stamper as social studies teacher. No, thank you. No, but what I what I mean by that is and there are lots of different ways that scholars have sort of represented teachers' political roles. Like, you know, Steve Thornton uses the term gatekeepers. In a book that I'm working on, S.G. Grant talks about teachers having a pocket veto, you know, in terms of sort of policy initiatives and mechanisms coming down into the classroom and then teachers sort of deciding, you know, what they can do, what they should do with those things. I've heard other phrases being used like street level bureaucrats, teachers are street level bureaucrats or teachers, you know, uh, I think David Cohen uses the phrase, teachers are engaged mediators of policy and practice. So there are, are lots of different ways that teachers' political roles have been represented. And, and, you know, those metaphors are distinct, I think, sometimes by the degrees of power that they indicate that teachers have. But, but I think one of the things that's important to keep in mind is that you know, teachers are political actors. You know, they play that sort of mediational role. And, you know, no matter what policy makers purport to do, and no matter how policies are built to accomplish their intents, you know, there are lots of people across multiple levels of implementation that interpret and act upon policies variously. And so professional development is one place in which that role, I think, needs to be reflected more strongly. I think the way professional development has been done a lot in the past is we're going to come up with this great program that's designed to help you teach better. I mean, it may be sort of wonderfully relevant, maybe based on research on students thinking and learning, you know, but the sort of assumption is we provide this professional development and then it is the teacher's job to, to take what they learn from the professional development and then implement it in their classrooms. I think alongside that, you know, one of the things that I recommend through this, this study that's in TRSE is that professional development programs and teacher educators, you know, who are working with, with pre-service teachers need to explicitly articulate that political mediational role that teachers have, because inevitably any new thing that teachers are learning to do those new things are going to come into contact with institutional factors, you know, from this, from sort of state rules all the way down to, you know, local social contextual things to articulate explicitly in order to do these new things, you're going to have to be a mediator. You're going to have to be, you know, you'd have to be somebody who's, you know, an engaged mediator of policy and practice. And we, as the people who are providing that professional development are going to help you do that not just assume that you're going to do that or not just expect that it's on you, the teachers, to go ahead and do that. Because in the study that I I did, you know, one of the participants in that study had all sorts of things that helped her actually implement the stuff that she was learning in professional development. 
in classrooms. And the other teacher that I profiled in that study did not. You know, the, the teacher who was able to sort of engage in some of that uptake, you know, she had local administrative support, multiple participants in her school. Her lesson study team was super active. The program leadership had a good relationship with the lesson study team and, and the administration and multiple participants in her school. That all made a big difference, whereas the teacher that was not able to enact some of the things that she was learning in professional development didn't have many of those social and decisional supports. One of the things that she shared with me that left me scratching my head was that she mentioned when I was interviewing her, yeah, you know, my program that I'm doing um, is all about sort of historical inquiry and investigation. And so I'm, I'm trying to create learning objectives and learning activities that do this. And he, my administrator recently came into my room and he criticized one of my learning objectives that was related to trying to decide which of two conflicting sources of evidence was the most credible. He critiqued that and said, how come you don't have an objective on the board that is explicitly about improving your score on the New York State Regents exam? You need to have objectives on the board every day that remind the kids that their goal in this class is to improve their performance on the New York State Regents exams. Oh and I mean, when that, you know, when, I mean, when that's the sort of context of the teacher's work, it makes it very difficult to actually take the stuff that's in the PD and do that stuff in the classroom, you know? So in that case, can teachers just yell at the principal, pocket veto? <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool? Right? That's it. We I mean, just need a PD. You should always have just... at least two pocket vetoes on hand. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Having a lot of office flashbacks, it's just yeah, I'm gonna pocket veto that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm gonna say that they probably can't do that in most situations. They can't just yell pocket veto, you know? <laughs> yeah, gonna... okay. To everyone I declare out there, pocket veto. <laughs> sometimes the pocket veto must be done silently. <laughs> exactly. Well, so I mean, it, like one of the big ideas behind all of this is that. Uh, one of the things that I, I try to suggest through this work is that the, the politics of teaching is not just a backdrop. It's not like teachers find these define themselves in these you know, political institutions called schools, but that the politics of teaching is actually like practices. There are things that teachers have to be able to do in order to develop practices that are going to provide them with the sort of political and decisional capital that they can act upon as they, you know, develop experience and, and expertise in, in social studies teaching, you know, in the best interest of, the, of their students. Another, like a subtitle for your paper could have been Tale of Two PDs. <laughs> See, this is the thing. I thought I was being witty with the, the thing that came before the colon, the happy professional development in an unhappy time, not only because I thought that was a cute phrase, but it also came from one of the participants. However, uh, now I feel like I, I have to somehow rescind this article and <laughs> and retitle it and and put it back out there somehow. I don't know how to do that, but I don't take my credit. I was, I just we could enjoy Dickens. Michael and I could open a uh, TRSC title consulting service <laughs> for a, for a small price. Seriously, yeah, <laughs> seriously, it is a good title, Michael. Using using the formula. Something witty, colon, very long, drawn out, abstract. Yes. Party suffix. in the front, business in the back. It's a reverse mullet. <laughs> That's right. That's right. 
Kevin, thank you so much for joining us today. Can you tell us where our listeners can find you and your work online? Yeah. So you all have on on the Visions of Education podcast website links to, to all these podcasts, right? So you could potentially, um, if you wanted to to look up some of this stuff, just go to the Visions of Education uh, podcast website associated with this particular episode. Wow, thank you and, for plugging uh, our show. Yeah, my pleasure. <laughs> you know, I was I, I did a little radio back in the day, so I'm drawing upon a, a long since mostly forgotten skill set right now. But uh, there's there's a couple of articles in theory and research and social ed uh, that you you may find links to there. There's a, a couple of pieces in the Huffington Post and uh, a blog that we have at our School of Education. I'm at the Warner School of Education at the University of Rochester, and our blog is Warner Perspectives, and that features you know faculty and students and other members of the community sort of posting ideas in blog format there every once in a while. There's a couple of things that I I've put up there as well. So so those are a couple places to get some ideas. You could have called that blog the Warren Commission. <laughs> no, maybe Michael should just Warner do the Commission. consulting. <laughs> yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> well, we will definitely link everyone to the show notes and, and share any other contact information or sites that you have because we want to make sure you're doing your work gets out there because you're doing really great work. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us today. We did enjoy it, and we will continue this discussion on the tweeters. Yeah, very cool. Thanks, gentlemen. I appreciate you having me. Thank you. Now, at the Vision of Education podcast, we're all about sharing the learning. If you're doing something creative, fun in education, and you or you just want to chat with us, Twitter us at Visions of Ed. We're also on Facebook, and you can always subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you want us to be. If you write us a five-star review, we will read it on the air just like this. Okay, so we have a five-star review from Genevieve. She, this is titled, A Fantastic Way to Learn About Leading Research and Reflecting Upon Your Own Work. The Vision of Ed podcast is successfully doing out what it's set to do, bridging the gap between professors, researchers, and K-12 teachers, and in a fun, engaging way. I've been an elementary school teacher for 12 years and am now applying to PhD programs in elementary social studies education. I wish the podcast had been around when I was still a practicing teacher because it's bringing important research information to teachers in a way that's relevant and practical. Although I'm specifically interested in some topics over others, I have found myself pausing to take notes throughout every single podcast, even the ones I almost skipped over. This podcast has helped me reflect upon my own work and directions I would like to take I would like to take in social studies research, which has greatly improved my personal statement for PhD programs. See, we're fairly helpful. They are it also humanized leading researchers and helped me feel more comfortable approaching them about our shared areas of interest. Dan and Michael are fantastic podcast hosts. They are both thoughtful, professional, and hilarious. Michael's quirky goofiness and Dan's dry wit make me smile and laugh through the podcast. Yet they know how to delicately balance the humor with seriousness. And many of the topics in social studies are grave. Dan and Michael ask important, important tough questions about how to re-envision social studies education to disrupt outdated status quo discourses, practices, and methods. Great job. Keep it up. That was the nicest review ever. That, I printed it out and put it on my refrigerator. Genevieve Caffrey, I'm going to go ahead and uh, out her as our, our person that wrote that, is an incredible teacher herself. And I've met her and she's a great thinker. So we really appreciate it coming from someone who's doing such great work themselves. So thank you so much, Genevieve. And good luck in your program. 
And you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Dan Kretka. And I'm at 42 ThinkDeep. Until next time, this is the Visions of Education podcast signing off. Include. It's a bat phone. Somebody needs PD. <laughs> Somebody needs PD now. Stat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is an example of what gets deleted.